The Game Schooler Podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, is a weekly audio show that highlights the educational value of tabletop gaming. In this week's episode, we'll cover Museum Pictura, our recommended game of the week, discuss the trouble with reviewing board games in the School of Gaming, and wrap it up with our high five hidden roll games. Welcome to the Game Schooler Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Kotecki, along with my co-host, the esteemed, always festive in his buffalo plaid, Dr. Michael McKay. What's happening, Doug? (laughs) Hey, you can bring the insults now because I'm looking forward to you pronouncing some of the names that are on this run sheet later in the show. That is funny that you said that because I was going to throw the microphone over to you when those things happen. Yeah, how are you, man? I am fantastic. Yeah, Uh, We got a lot of stuff to catch up on. We sure do. Uh, from a, a little bit of a break uh, as we go forward. It is now um, just past Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving yep. for those of you that are celebrating that holiday. I'm actually um, taking a nap on your couch in real time. At this moment when <laughs> this is released, this I will be sleeping on your couch. Okay. Well, that yep. seems like what a great mm-hmm. house guest. Yep. Uh, Friendsgiving. Like real holidays. <laughs> um, so what do you want to talk about? I've got a couple of – got one game I've been playing. Um, my daughter and I have played Micro Macro Crime City. We're diving into the the full Ooh, house and kind of yeah. uh, rediving into that. And Let's so that's, talk about that's it. That's been a blast. And because a year ago, that uh, almost a year ago to the date, I want to say that game overtook your life, like where your kid was <laughs> running into the house to play it right after school, right? Yeah, we got to get this done. <laughs> we got connecting the dots, and it was one of those scenes where uh, you've got a um, bulletin board up with all the string connecting yeah. all of the, <laughs> the So the slow down real quick because there's two different micro macros, right? And yeah, so, so which one are you talking about? So Micro Macro Crime City is the original, and yep. then they released Micro Macro Crime City Full house. Both game plays. Both games play identically. Yep. Uh, it's just different scenarios and a different map. Micro Macro Crime City. We did a that was a recommended game of the week that we had at one point. I don't remember the episode. Just keep talking. I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> and um, it's it's essentially a black and white Where's Waldo giant map. It'll take up your entire table, and you are trying to. Episode 5? 58. 58. And you are trying to solve a crime. And, for example, they'll say, this guy's hat got stolen. Can you find the moment where he realized that he was missing his hat? Yeah. And then you can trace back by looking at different parts of the map to see where he was before that. It's kind of like this real time where everything is stuck in motion so you're like well where was he before that right. oh he lives there where did his hat fall off that type of thing and to a, solve the case a rare game that i think you could play with your kids from 8 to 18 i mean yeah. there's truly a large range because it's so engaging and fast paced and and you uh, it allows for multiple paths of inquiry in, inquiry and ideas to really investigate that's a good one yeah and they've got um little symbols on each of the cases to uh, indicate how family friendly or dark that they may go. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of them are too terrible. And I, and we talked about that in our, our previous recommended game, but 
Um, that's a good one. Yeah, so we've been enjoying that. That's uh, the only thing that's actually gotten to the table for a, l- a little while is... So has uh, it stayed on the table? Is the map... Do you, do you it did, put it away it did, every time? No, it, it did stay uh, on the table overnight at yeah, one point. So That's awesome. How Great. about you? Anything that you've been... Well, my wife had friends over for cookie baking, which was an interesting... Um, Day, shall we say. So you played Arc Nova with them? I tried. Didn't get it to the <laughs> table. But whenever my wife has friends over that she's known for a long time, do you know what game she gets? That she That she brings out, out, out of the basement every mm. time. Mm. I'm going to limit your think time here because this is a live production, <laughs> and it was Unusual Suspects, mm. Paolo Mori's Paolo 2015 unusual suspects now folks this is not this is a game that can go off the rails easily and quickly i think it's if best you want played with friends if you want a family friendly version of this get dinosaur tea party which we have recommended if you want to get similar vibes and feels but if you want to play actually if you want similar fi- vibes and feels play similo yes is the family friendly version of that better uh, thank you good interruption but <laughs> if you want to play like guess who the game that we played as kids with layers and layers of prejudice bias and racism then uh, <laughs> might want to get unusual suspects but in all seriousness if, if you have we like playing it with friends and family it's it, it's a yeah. good time uh, not one i will take to the board game club though it, you it know, can it's, get it for can, example it would be there's there's suspects out on the table and the question would be does the suspect watch football yeah, and then just by looking at the people, you are making a judgment on whether you think that that player, that person watches football or not. Yeah, and so then you have people on the table being like, "That person totally does not watch football." And that's at a all. very mild mannered uh, <laughs> question. There are some in there where it, it can get it can get a little wild, but. November's an odd month for me and for our house for board gaming. Basketball season is starting up. My wife is usually involved in the high school play, which is closing down. And then Thanksgiving hits. So about 80% of my plays will be coming up in the next five days here to yeah. close out the month. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I've got some follow-up. We've got some uh, feedback from some of our listeners. And uh, Stefan talked about Ohanami, which was a recent recommended game, and he asked if it was similar to Lost Cities. He said mm. that you had meant, thought that you had mentioned that it, it did have a, a similar structure to that. Um, and he said, how do you think about your collection if games satisfy the same itch, i.e. are relatively interchangeable, particularly in the eye of our game partners? And he was referring, I believe, to his wife who enjoys Lost Cities, yep. but didn't necessarily want to bring in a different game that kind of felt similar. Um, so my push on that is there's a limitation built into Lost Cities and that yeah. it's a two-player only game. Yeah. Oanami is fantastic at three players. And yeah. and the scoring varies a little bit in it. So it has there's enough difference in there and it's a tiny little box. Yeah. Um for it to warrant living in my collection. But if I had to have one of them, that's a that's a different question. That's a really good question. Yeah, I think the for me, the the big difference is in Lost Cities you are um, only ascending with your cards, you know, so the numbers can only get higher and you can't backtrack. Where Ohanami, you're going from both directions. You can increase or go lower. One to 120, right? Yeah. And so there 
and and because it's a drafting game, yep. there is less of that Lost Cities tension for me when I'm playing Lost Cities where it's like, I need that six. Where is that six? Where in Ohanami, you're making so many decisions that you're rarely waiting for one specific number like that. Yeah. Where in, in Lost Cities, like, I need the yellow six so I can maximize my points because I have the seven, eight, and nine right behind it. But I don't want to the, the, give the up extra points. The similar reaction from Lost Cities of when you need that yellow six and the moment you give up on it is the moment that I also lay it out of my hand. Oh, yeah. Also happens in Oanami, <laughs> which I love. And the fact that you can have that with more than one person at the table. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, yeah, that, that, that's a really good question, though. And I think well, it also goes back to the type of games that you like to play. Yeah. And if, if you like card games, if you because there's... Lost City and this the folksy stats are off the top of my head. I could be wrong, but Lost Cities is circa 1997-ish, right? The good yep. Dr. Reiner Kanitia. Oanami is 2019-ish, and that's Stephen Bendorf, right? So yeah. there, there's a different design, aesthetic, play, pace uh, between the two games. It's not like one is um, Captain Crunch and the other is the generic Crunch Berries. I mean, yeah. they're... they're they're well, different games. Well, and the idea of of you know games that satisfy the same itch. I sold some uh, previously played games that I had, some used games that I was getting rid of out of my collection. And it's talking about you know I was talking to some of the people and like, oh, why are you getting rid of this? And it's like it's I'm not getting rid of this. Make because, room for 300 more games. Can you see? Obviously. <laughs> Goes without saying, but it's I'm not getting rid of this game because it's a bad game. It, you know, a lot of times it's like I, it's not because I played this and I thought it was garbage and now it's gone. A lot of times the games are getting cycled through because I have a game, like for example, Red Rising is yeah. a game that I got rid of, and it's not because I think Red Rising is a bad game, but because I know like 100 percent of the time I'm going to rather play Marvel Remix, yeah, which gives me the almost the exact same type of feel in a faster time with the theme that I like. And you knew that Red Rising would sit in my shelf, which yes. is where it I is currently. Sold it to some sucker that picked it up for <laughs> Hello, way overpriced. <laughs> um, you know, so I think that is also part of it is. There are there are games that I make room for where it's like these are very similar, and I do have Lost Cities in Ohanami, and I don't think I would ever pick one over the other, and I can I th- I'm comfortable with those sitting side by side in my co- my collection, and I have those, yeah, and I also have some where it's like yeah this is too similar, and I know I'm always going to reach for this one. Well, and and time and space are and everybody's collection varies and changes, right? If I was living in an 800 square foot apartment, I would not be able to have the number of games that I have. Yeah. Uh, at at some point in time, when I'm an elderly fella and I need to go live in a smaller space, I won't be able to keep the games. I will rent a storage uh, unit. Thank you, Doug. Um, <laughs> For both of us, I will rent. I will sublease space in your storage unit. <laughs> um, but when the the thing that I just brought up to our listeners, and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it in that episode, was that my oldest kid enjoys Lost Cities and doesn't really want to play Oanami. And I think some of that is that push and pull, back and forth, teeter-totter tension that only a two-player game can give. And I like being able to play that same style with multiple players, with mm-hmm. players on my left and right and the fourth person across from my table, that what they do will matter because of the drafting that's involved. So I know yeah. we're we're getting 
little deep and off the rails on this, but it's our podcast and we get to choose. So Yeah, we also got another email from Mike. He had two things that I wanted to talk about that I thought were very interesting. He did, he did make a recommendation for having a high five of the, the Tiny Epic series. I know they recently announced a Tiny Epic Crime. Crime. Yep. Um, yep, it's on Kickstarter. I have, I have played a couple of them. Um, some of them I enjoyed and some of them I didn't. And for me, ultimately it comes down to almost every time I played it, I just wished it was a bigger bit game. Like yeah. I, I thought that the, the gimmick of shrinking it down was unnecessary. That's like, if you blew this up to a, a double the size, it would be better and right. I would enjoy it more. Um, but the interesting thing on the, the game schooling aspect, he said that he's been doing some game schooling with a small group of kids he uh, he works with, and he lets them pick a co-op game to use during small group counseling so they can practice some of the appropriate classroom behavior skills they're working on in the group, build relationships, and accomplish goals together. Uh, they've used Marvel United, Harry Potter, Hogwarts Battle, and Castle Panic so far. So I think that's a... We got to send him some game schooler stickers or something, <laughs> man. That's awesome. I think that's a really interesting concept of there is in action somebody using the games and cooperative games. And I, I like that it's not even about some of the skills that we talk about. It's let's just figure out how to work together, work, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and just control behavior a little bit better, those type of things that I think is is really cool. So keep up the good work, Mike, on that. That's uh, impressive. That's really, really cool. And I, it, as a school counselor, if you're going to conferences or conventions, if you're talking about the work that you're doing, I'm very interested to learn more. So please do keep those emails coming, Mike. We really appreciate uh, hearing kind of where you're at on your journey with that. Yeah, so you can uh, reach out to us, email at gameschooler.com. Uh, with any of that questions, comments, and feedback. I've got two little news items I want to talk about. One of them is, as this episode is dropping, it is currently Black Friday. So if you are gaming on a budget, keep an eye out for uh, some amazing deals. There, yeah. Even, uh, this is Wednesday, we're recording this, but there's already been some, some wild, astronomically low prices yeah. for some games that are quality games. Uh, so just keep an eye out for that. Uh, this is the time to, to <laughs> build up your library at a lower cost. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out for people that may not know, uh, we're trying to do more stuff to be welcoming to new gamers and, and get new gamers fired up about the hobby. But BoardGameGeek.com has a, a series that they kind of somewhat regularly put out, and they're called Designer Diaries. Um, in which a designer will talk about the process of developing whatever game they're talking about. And it's really interesting yeah. to see some of the mutations and permutations that a game goes through from the initial idea to where it ended up and where they you know, pulled some stuff out of the game that was just clogging things up or a rules change that just streamlined everything. So if you're interested in game design or want to learn more about you know, one of your favorite games, there there might be a designer diary on there from that that designer and you can get kind of a behind the scenes look at at that. So anything else before we move on, Michael? Nope. All right. Last thing before we do go is make sure you spread the word about the podcast. If you like what we're doing, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell anyone you see on the street. Uh, shout it from the rooftops. Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do I that would. call to action. Doug. Yeah, I you would. could get yeah. us in trouble with that. No, that's. I mean, don't. It seemed like a direct call to action. Don't if disturb. Somebody the, got punched in the mouth because they were excitingly telling them about the Game Schooler podcast. Wouldn't you feel bad? 
No, not really. I mean, that, that's where you and I are the, a little different. The onus is on the person doing the punching, not the person oh. that yells. And I also believe don't disturb the peace. Yeah. You know, you don't need to be a town crier, but yeah. <laughs> All right. Can you let's, tell my enthusiasm has gotten me in trouble throughout my life? I can see that. <laughs> let's move on to the recommended game of the week. Recommended game of the week. So breathy. The recommended game of the week is a family-friendly game we think you should add to your collection, and it passes our stringent criteria for quality and content. This week's game is Museum Pictura by Holy Grail Games. Doug, give us the stats. Published in 2022... The designer is Eric Deboe, Debus, I'm sorry, Olivier Mellison, and I'm going to throw the art over to you, Michael. There's too many to name. There's a, a lot <laughs> There's of three. just wonderful, wonderful artists that are that are. All, I'm not talking uh, about Van Gogh. <laughs> oh, Doug, I thought you were talking about the the primary sources here. Okay, uh, illustration. You are sending it to me. Uh, Joel Drons, Loic Muzi, and. Ekaterina Varlamov. And for all of you artists and designers and the team behind this, we apologize for those 15 seconds that might have been the most painful of your life. We really do love your game, and we're going to talk about it for the next 20 minutes. We subscribe to the telemarketer school of pronunciation. (laughs) What, do our best and move along? (laughs) Go ahead, Doug. All right, two to four players. It plays in about 60 minutes. Uh, The age on the side of the box says 14 plus. Board Game Geek says 10 plus. They're wrong. Maybe a little low on that They're wrong. That's absolutely ridiculous and I'll talk more about that in a second. All right, 2.72 out of 5. And according to the publisher, your goal is to create collections of some of history's most iconic works of art. To do so, you will be acquiring painting cards and exhibiting them into your museum, represented by your player board, to create collections. These collections can be based either on a painting's period, ranging from the Renaissance period all the way to Impressionism, or its domain, whether it's historical, landscape, mythological, or by the artist. The collections you create will earn you prestige points, and the player with the most prestige at the end of the game wins. During play, you will have to deal with the changing trends of the art world, acquiring and exhibiting paintings depending on what is currently in highest demand. Exhibiting paintings of the types that are currently in fashion will gain you additional points. As your collections grow, you'll be able to open them briefly to the public with a temporary exhibition, which allows you to immediately score that collection's value and obtain special bonuses for the rest of the game. But beware, your visitors will quickly grow tired of seeing the same types of collections again and again. So timing your exhibitions correctly is essential. So on your turn... Let's get kind of yeah, in, into the, get, get into the nuts it. and bolts here. And, but before you do that, I just yep. because our listeners who are listening every week will know, 2, 2.72 out of 5, this is one of the more complex games that we have ever recommended to date. I mean, yep. oftentimes our games are half of that complexity. Sure, yep. So this is approaching, you know, that 2.75, almost getting to the 3.0 mark. So there, there's a little bit here. And if we make any errors, please, please send all your mail to Doug. But no, we'll try to clean that up next week. But there, there's some moving parts here, Doug. So talk about the turn. Yeah. So on your turn, you the first thing you're going to do is you're going to acquire two painting cards from a, uh, a deck. And then once you've acquired that, you can exchange, you need to exchange one card from your hand 
into one of the with one of the uh, cards in the International Museum. Yep. So there are, I believe, four international museums that are on the board. And so if you exchange and and give them a card that has their trend, each each museum has trends, which is an artist, a style of painting, and the, a time period. So say, for example, they're looking for Renaissance paintings. If you give them one of those, you're going to score that more international points. international museum. So there's yep. four museums that you're going to. And, and Yeah. And so say one of them is, is really looking for uh, Van Gogh paintings. And you it, sell them a Van Gogh out of your Or trade hand. one. Yep. You trade yep. one with them. You get, you're going to gain victory points for that. However, if you take a Van Gogh from their collection, you're going to have to give up victory points because that's valuable to them. Once you finish that exchange, every other player around the table gets a chance to also exchange with those international museums, which is a pretty cool concept yeah. that works well thematically. Almost like a partial turn each turn. Yep. And so then once everybody else is allowed to do that trading, uh, then you proceed to your regular actions. And the first thing you can do is you can pr improve your museum by exhibiting painting cards into your museum, which then will form collection. And in order to exhibit a card, you need to discard a card into your discard into pile. Into your, your warehouse, essentially. Yeah. So it's like, I have to put this one out. And in, in order to do that, I need to put this other one in storage. So you can build, uh, you can get one from your hand, or you can take a card from another player's discard pile, add that to your museum, but you have to give that player a point to do that. Yeah. Can we pause right there because yeah. of how awesome it is? Or do you want to come back to that after you I've, get done with the actions? Let's get done yep. with the actions go ahead, and go, go back. Ahead. Cause I think it kind of ties into a lot in of stuff. Yep. 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 Um, so that's how you improve your museum. You're either adding a card from your hand or from an opponent's discard pile. You can never go directly from your discard pile. And in order to do that, you need to perform an inventory, which is taking all the painting cards back from your discard pile back into your hand. You have a hand limit of eight painting cards and three favor cards. Favor cards are like extra bonus actions that are cool things that you can do that kind of mix up the rules of the game. And the last thing you can do on your turn is open a te temporary exhibition. And that's taking a collection that you would score at the end of the game and scoring it in the middle of the game. And you also get a, a point marker for it, which then you are going to cover Almost up. Almost like a little achievement badge. Yeah. So it's worth points. The first person to do it is going to get more points than the second person that does it uh, for that particular genre or period, time period. And then you can do that up to six times. But when you do that, you put that token on an ability that's above your museum on your museum board which gives you an extra bonus either then or throughout the rest of the game um, which are pretty cool special powers but that temporary exhibit can only be done once you, you can't score that out multiple times throughout the game so yep. once you once you score out that temporary exhibit for I mean, renaissance for, for, for renaissance you can't come back yeah. to it yeah but you could do one for uh portraits for example yeah. later um, so you can do six different ones throughout the course of the game. Um, and then as you're putting and improving your museum, putting those uh, paintings on exhibit, if they match, there's like this, what do they call that? The international, there's like a main trend that goes, it's like the art world trend, but I can't think of what the... You're talking about to get more prestige? What, do, what are you talking about here? Uh Oh, the active trend. Okay. Um, so whenever you exhibit a painting, the active trend, which applies to everybody, is 
So that that active trend is also looking for specific artists, specific styles of paintings, and specific uh, time periods that you can score extra prestige points when you exhibit specific ones. The last uh, kind of component to what's happening throughout the game is there is a, a patron board yeah. where if you accomplish specific goals throughout the game, you will get these patron uh, rewards, which then give you extra abilities and things that you can do. Um, as you move up the prestige track, you're going to get extra favor cards, which you can play. They don't count as an action. At the end of the game, you're going to, as long as the collection have a, has at least four cards in it, um, so you know four cards from the Renaissance or four cards from uh, you know that are still life paintings. Um, you will score points for that for how big that collection. But you need at least four you for need, that collection to count. Correct. Which so if you have you know six of these exhibits and you want to be able to score them all out once during the game, hopefully, and then again at the end. But and you can you, you can go ahead. Yeah, you can manipulate your museum. Your museum is kind of like a little floor plan. Your yeah. your museum mat, and you can manipulate those cards throughout the game until you get to final scoring. And so a collection is, or our cards are considered part of the same collection if they are orthogonally adjacent to one another and kind of in like a walking path. Yeah. So there's a way that you can connect different collections to each other so based on matching the symbols and colors and yeah. things like that. Diagonal, no bueno. Orthogonally <laughs> adjacent means next to, correct? Uh, up or down, left yes. and right. Yep. yes. So, A, B, A, B, select, start. <laughs> so that is the uh, a deeper dive than we usually do, but I think it's a, a little bit more going on in this game. Uh, so what do you like about the game, well, Michael? I, I want to... Or what do you want to jump? To? Yeah, I want to backtrack on something within the turn that I think is absolutely fantastic about Museum Pictura, that even though it's a 2.72 out of 5, and typically we're right around that 1.5 or 2 on a complexity, just makes this game fun and that's the discard pile i'm going to read this from page nine of the rule book discard pile your discard is like your museum's warehouse artworks placed there are not currently being exhibited in your museum but can be removed from storage by performing an inventory so that's one of the actions that you can take on your turn painting cards in your discard can cause you to lose points at the end of the game so be sure to manage your discard carefully so in order for me to, it's just such a great thematic tie-in yeah. that I didn't fully understand the first time I played when I was learning the game, that when sure. I went through the rules to be ready to teach this game to my family, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Now I understand why I have to discard a painting in order to show a painting mm -hmm. right into a collection because there's only so much space. But guess what? If that thing is sitting in the warehouse, Another museum owner can come along and snatch it. Yeah. Hey, I want to. We're, we're collecting a, an exhibit yeah. on this. And I, I, I really enjoyed how that worked when I was playing. You know, the first yeah. time through, the first few times we played the game, but then uh, connecting that later on because it was several months from first play to recent play, uh, that, that just popped. It, yeah. it, it was so. It's cool to have fun things that happen in a game, right? But then yeah. when you have them tie out thematically the yeah. same way that numbers do on a spreadsheet and you get that little bit of joy like all right that all adds up good we're good <laughs> to go um i just thought that that was something that brought some extra fun to the game yeah that's it was actually the first thing that jumped out to me too is the the theme and the mechanisms make sense the idea of storage and lending painting stay out of my warehouse doug and, and even the idea of 
that there are, are trends going on in the yeah. art world that's like, oh, people are, you know, really want to see Van Gogh paintings right now. So you're going to get extra points. Or, you know, we the the yeah. international world is really looking forward to more still life paintings. Like those type of things that go in and out of vogue. I think that is really cool that that's even tied into the game. Um, Museum Pictura is based off an a, a, a earlier game called Museum, um, which is more about collecting artifacts yep. and things like that. But still, um, this is a nice tweak on that original game. I mean, I love the artwork. It's fantastic. And, and I like – there are some people that don't like – so the, the paintings are presented on a wall in a gallery type of thing, not just – the painting right. taking over the entire card. And uh, I like that they did that, that they, because I think it adds continuity to the game and the artwork design of the feel. Because if you just had all these random paintings of different styles and genres taking up the entire card, I think it would look kind of disjointed. But the way that they have the the frames and the, a little bit of the wall and stuff around there allows it some space to breathe and adds continuity to the game. Yeah, I think the the main thing is not the painting. The main thing is the museum. Yeah. Right? And and yet the painting within the museum and how they all fit into a collection makes it pop. It yeah. makes it work. That they're I don't know what word I'm looking for. It's not elegant. It's functional, man. This game yeah. works on so many the different levels. The graphic design really helps. Really works. Yeah. And even the, the, the colors um, don't blend too terribly. They all stand out from each other. And they're, the iconography is really good and clean, too. Um, just understanding how... And this isn't a knock on the game, but understanding the cards. When, when I teach this game that that's I, I i like how we started out with how your turn works but i think uh especially with younger gamers if i were to teach this i would really just give them a card and kind of walk through the cards yeah. and have them put together a little collection and then get into the turn structure and how how everything works because i think it's it's intuitive uh, except for the actions. The actions are a little bit different because you have so many choices. So yeah. from a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old perspective, you have a lot of different ways you can go. Yeah. This isn't I need to take four actions and, and move a character on a map and I'm working with people. This is a competitive your build your own collection game Yeah. Um, that high school gamers – I think we'll rejoice if you have been looking yeah. for a game or wanting us to review a game that's at that older age, because here, this is what I'm building towards Doug and then I'll sign it back to you. I spent quite a bit of time relearning this game, getting it to the table, took, took a, a, a weekend day to really get it. And then got to the end and realized my 13 year old, she's not going to like this because of scoring and just had that moment of realization of not now. And not to say that somebody's not ready for it, but just not now. But so maybe at 15, maybe at 17, the game's not going to walk out of my collection. It's a fantastic game. But in terms of for me and my house, this is a game that's best among the adults right now. 
and uh, one that I think we'll continue to play when we have friends over and things like yep. that. But I, I really strongly disagree with the Board Game Geek 10 plus on this. I mean, those well, are Wunderkins. Those, those are well, future Reiner Kinezias. If you're 10 plus. <laughs> it's one of those things where there's technically, technically a 10-year-old can play this game, but are they getting anything out of it and – and do they even know what they're doing? That's different. Well, that and to mastering me is the scoring because yeah, that's those ten year olds that like, are playing. Think about her story that we played with your daughter a few weeks ago, and she was whooping up on us because she understood how everything fit together like yeah. that. So it's like the mechanisms within themselves are not very hard, but grasping how they all work together. Yes, and and how the scoring works and, and stuff. How to move that prestige track around that. That's so. That's a that's a thing where it's like it's. When you when you go so low, you're shortchanging the experience. I think of of what somebody is getting out of it. They technically yeah. may be able to play it, but they're not getting out of it what the full potential of the game is. Well, and that that's you know we jump in. Where's the best fit? And, and my wife teaches an AP, so that's an advanced placement art history class. And they yep. do they do play board games and they do other games. And when they get done with their AP test, you know they have that two three weeks at the end. They're gaming and. I just think that how the scoring works out would prevent this from entering a lot of spaces and classrooms. But in terms of family game, oh my goodness! And this so thing you don't has think this would power. go into art history? Because um, I think it is amazing. I, I do too. In a lot of ways, I just I, I think the rule book is a little dense, just based mm. on feedback that we've had with other. It's more of like, oh, micro macro. We can set that up. We can get into that in five yeah. minutes. Giddy up, let's go. Um, but if you are homeschooling and yeah. having, you know, advanced courses, this is perfect because it, yeah, I've got, upper, it takes uh, some time to digest. Yeah. I've got upper grades, gaming families and art history or appreciation classes. Yeah. Um, getting back to that graphic design, each card, um, the artist is written on there, but it's also represented by a number. So it's really easy to keep track of like, oh, I'm looking for all 19s or I'm yeah. looking for all 11s. The... Time period is color coded, but that's also written on the card as well. So very clearly, the Baroque, the Rococo, those are all written on there. And then each of the different um, styles or genres, the mythology, history, religion, landscape, still life, or portrait are all represented by icons. So it's really easy to quickly see what cards you're trying to collect. And I love the idea of the the set the the set collection. With the the giving up to gain. Yeah. You know, so it's like you have to give up a card and put it in your discard to put in the one that you want. And so it's not just a straight, oh, I'm just trying to collect all these. You can't, you can, but eventually you're going to have a card, a hand full of all cards that you want that you don't want to put into the discard. And then you're afraid it's going to get stolen. <laughs> so there's, yeah. there's a lot of engagement in this game following what other players are doing and what they're putting into those markets and where, oh, he just dumped that off. Maybe I can swoop yep. in there, but is it worth the sacrifice of prestige points to get it? Because that's what that, you know. And that, the engagement's on different levels. Yeah. There's just that yep. direct personal engagement where I'm going through the struggle myself, but then all of a sudden somebody comes into my warehouse and takes it. Well, you took that card out of there. I was yeah. going to get that. Yeah, yeah. I uh -huh. was saving that for later, and yep. I think that's the – the following those trends and the idea of the, you know, we'll get into this with some of the skills, but the short-term and the long-term 
the goals um strategy throughout this game oh, and, the, and the way that okay. it's changing yeah because there is stuff where you need to act fast and there is stuff where you kind of have to have a general direction of where you're going and i i think the components are outstanding as well yeah, for, for what you get for what it is in yeah. the box you know it's not something that's going to weigh 35 pounds that has a bunch of metal in it that you're afraid to take you know yeah. uh, traveling <laughs> with you but at the same time there is a lot in the box so the other thing that's really interesting about this game is we talked about it in the past and just recently and it's like this is another game that does that education component in the way that i like every painting card has the name of the painting the artist the year it was painted the medium that it's painted or you know put in and the dimensions of the painting and where it's currently located yeah so you can pick up any of the painting cards and you've got a little mini biography and a jumping off point of learning about that painting. Right. Um, so I think that's cool. And it doesn't get in the way of gameplay whatsoever. It's there. It's it's on the card and it's just hiding beneath the surface that if you want it, it's there. And if you don't, you don't need to worry about yeah. it. Um, and I just wish more games would do that because that's it provides another layer of education without impacting your game whatsoever no and can i do a little call to action a little selfish call to action yeah, here shout so it from the rooftops y- you got the kickstarter version which no thank i did you. not oh you didn't mm-hmm. you just had the early retail well okay i have the retail version as well if any of our listeners out there who know this game and love this game and are happy that we're talking about a game that you know and love have the solo version if you could just drop us an email at email at gameschooler.com i i kind of want to know more about it because right now doug it is super expensive and not oh, available. It's like, I don't want to pay $45 what I paid for the game for sure. a, a little solo version. But um, so that that's my one interest and curiosity. And I think, you know, some of the games, especially the ones that live in our collection, I, I, I continue to be curious about. I continue to want to play over and over. And Museum Pictura is one that you own, one that I own, and one that I'm really looking forward to playing down the road with people for the first time. Yep. One, because I want to whoop up on them now that I have an advantage <laughs> that I know how it works. But two, no two games are ever the same. Yep. And that's the last big note that I have before hmm. we talk about the skills. But have you ever had a strategy where, oh, I know what I'm going to do and been able to run that strategy all the way through? Whereas with some of the games that that I play, Quacks of Quedlinburg or even in Everdell, kind of have two or three strategies I know will be successful, right? Yeah. And the game changes every single turn, oftentimes within the turn because everybody gets to do a little bit of something each round. And everybody's got their own personal trends that they can score on. Yeah. So they're... The variability is intense. You're privately trying to to collect certain things, but then you're also trying to pay attention to the art world trends to get more points. So there's there's a lot of variety in here. Michael and I believe that the games we recommend provide unique opportunities for skill development, and we want to share some of the skills we think you can develop in this week's game. So what do you got, Michael? There's a lot of them. I'm not jumping in with the core skill, but competition. A game that develops healthy competitive habits as two or more parties compete for a goal or reward that isn't shared. And that's where I think this entry age is higher than 10 because just that going in and out of somebody's discard pile yeah, uh, and and getting those little short-term goals that get – once you get prestige, it can – 
you 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 need that and uh initially in order to to move forward within the game and there's a competitiveness from the very first turn that that I have felt every time that I've played it. Yeah, the big one for me is is processing information. Yeah. A game in which players must examine or analyze information. So every time somebody's exchanging with those international markets and museums and you're seeing, "Oh, that just came out or this is now available." And you're and and those patron cards where you're looking is like, okay, what? How can I get bonuses over there? What type of collection should I be building? And oh, did that come out? That's a baroque one. Do I need that? Oh, I, well, wow. even determining if it's a valid collection because I, yeah. I've played before and thought, oh, this is how it's going to score out, and then I was wrong because they weren't actually next to each other. I was off. I got so excited, or sure. I made a little adjustment before I went to score it. Yeah. So yeah. there's a there's a lot of computational processes that are going in in this one so i thought that that was a a pretty strong core skill that i wanted to highlight yeah and that's where i had logistics uh somewhat similar but a little bit different a game that allows players to manage production flow between the point of origin and consumption it's not just that i'm managing what's on my board i'm also watching to see what goes into somebody else's discard pile right Mm -hmm. especially when it's your turn or another person's turn and they have that extra action what are they discarding it and why are they discarding it and how can I potentially use that to make a collection that I have? So it, the logistics in this game are a little bit different from other games we've talked about where there's a balance of hidden information and publicly viewable information that I think works really well together. And it's not a train game on a map. We're yeah. talking about a, an art museum, right? Yeah. So it, the logistics that... that interact in this game are, are very unique uh it, it, to, to to this game yeah the the other two i have kind of go in tandem and usually they don't go in tandem and that's i talked about them earlier tactical thinking and strategic thinking tactical thinking is a game that challenges players to make decisions based on currently available and frequently changing information and that's where those you know, as players are discarding cards or exchanging cards with the international museums in the in the middle of the board, uh, the middle of the table, you need to respond to some of those. As new patron cards get flipped over, you may change what you were thinking. However, you still need to have a a strategy and kind of a long term thing. Your your in personal individual trends that you're you know help you score more points. Those lend into that, which is a game that encourages players to develop a process or long-term strategy for accomplishing the goal. So you have to kind of have that long-term eye on the prize, but also be available to pivot when you need to. And so I think this game does a really good job of having both of those in there. Yeah, and then there's uh, the last one that I have is risk management, a game in which players must identify, evaluate, and prioritize options to reduce the impact of unfortunate events and really to add on to our definition to maximize good that can happen. Yeah. When I am deciding to open a temporary exhibit, do I want to do it this turn or should I wait to potentially get more points next turn? But then if I wait too long... That prestige token, you know, somebody else might jump in. If if you do the Renaissance, when I was going to do the Renaissance, and you're the first one to get that token off the board, so handling well, and there that can only risk be two of each one, of right? each one, right? Yeah. And ha- ha- balancing that risk. So if I'm playing with four players, if I don't open up this exhibit, I might not get to open up that exhibit. And then when you get a token, you get to place it on your board, and you have a, a nice little bonus that yeah. pays off. So that balance that happens. Um, 
can lead to some downtime in the game because if you've got mid maxers galore, they might be, the processing could go from but but I like it. It, it yeah it, it it builds where I have the risk management logistics and competitiveness. It starts and it ramps up and it really goes. Yeah. So. I think I've got one extra one that I put on there. I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. It is resource management, a game oh, that yeah. boosts the player's capacity to efficiently and effectively oversee available assets. So the idea that in order to put uh, you know, a, a painting on exhibit, you need to put one into your warehouse, into storage. And with those exchanges that you can do on every player's turn, so you can exchange on your turn, and then on every other player's turn, you have an opportunity exchange. Well, what ends up happening is, you know, if you've got the eight card limit, well, you're exchanging for cards that you want. Yeah. So the idea that you're discarding garbage eliminate, is eliminated very quickly. And so the things that you're discarding are also things that you eventually want to put in your me- in, into your museum. And one of the hardest things in the game that I think to balance of resources is getting enough paintings in my hand that I don't care about that I can dump off into my discard pile, right. but then also balancing that with not having too much in the discard pile so I don't lose a bunch of points at the end of the game. Because you penalize at the end. You know, so, so you want to entice people to kind of come into your yeah, discard it's like, to remove it. It's this weird yeah, yeah. efficiency thing of I'm getting rid of stuff that I actually want to use, so I hope people don't steal it, but I also need stuff that I can throw in there so I actually can play the cards that I want. And what's the hand limit? Is it seven? It's eight. It's eight, and I... I've run into the problem playing this game more than once. I don't have enough cards. So, yeah. yeah, I'd love to be able to get this card into my exhibit, but then I'm down to three cards in my hand. So what yeah. am I going to give up? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that I think is going to do it for us. That is our recommended. You got anything else? No, I'm just glad that we got to talk about this game. Yeah. I have been wanting to talk about this game for a while. I know you have as well. We've gone back and forth with the complexity, with a few other pieces. And, and folks, if... If you have a collection, if you're playing games, if you like games that have a little bit of crunch to them, see previous School of Gaming mm-hmm. segment, Museum Pictura is an, an awesome game to get to the table. Yep. So that is Museum Pictura by Holy Grail Games. Let's move on to the School of Gaming. The School of Gaming. In the School of Gaming, we discuss concepts, keywords, etiquette, and helpful ideas in the world of gaming and education. This week, we'll be discussing the trouble with reviewing board games. Yeah, this is an interesting topic. Michael and I talk about actually quite a bit off air. A lot, man. And feel like, you know, maybe we should let you guys in on that conversation. Um, And we... We have kind of taken the stance that there is a lot of negativity in this world that we're not going to pile on to games that we may not like or give. And it's not because we don't have opinions on some games, but we want to talk up the games that we really like and the games we love playing. And there's certainly enough of those to go around that we don't need to, to pile on, you know, negative reviews, that type of thing. And in a sense, we... I don't really look at ourselves as reviewers. I look at us as talking about games that we really like and and not necessarily looking at it like, oh, I'm wondering, you know, where that type. I just don't think of us like that. But I'm sure a lot of people do that we are game reviewers. And 
I always catch myself and it's like, if I don't like a game, what does that really mean? Because I, for example, don't really care for real-time games. I love them. So how do I review that? Yeah. Like, obviously, other people like real-time games. So if I'm going in with a natural aversion to those games, me telling you that I don't think it's a good game. Right. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, and there's a whole subgenre of war games that we have reviewed and discussed approximately zero war games. Yeah. That people love them. They spend yeah. their time, their money, their weekends, and there's a reason why they love them. They're, 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 there's a lot of excellent war games out there. But that, Well, and so that's where I'd, I, I get confused, I guess, with the idea of just because I don't like something, what value is that when there are games that I think are hot garbage that people love. Yeah. And so it's like, so how can, like, what value does me saying I don't like it if there's a whole bunch of people out there that love it? And obviously the game got made for a reason. Somebody thought it was a great idea in the first place. So how does that work? I mean, the only way it really works to me is if I know the person, the reviewer, so well that I can trust their opinion because I... You know, it's like if you tell me you think a game is great, it's going to hold a whole lot of more weight for me than some big time reviewer because I know you personally. Yeah, well, and and I'm going to take it just a little bit of a different way. So feel free to to bend this segment back to how you want it here. But I more times than once over the last two plus years. I've gotten ready for a recommended game of the week, and then all of a sudden I'll hear a review of that game and think, oh, I want to listen, and, and and the game will either get slammed or it'll be kind of quasi-negative or somebody will get extremely nitpicky about something in the game that I didn't even pick up on. And if it's not for a game that we have coming up immediately, it's for one that I know that I have coming from, from Kickstarter or one that I uh, is on my want-to-play list. And for me... Because I do consider myself a reviewer. I, I slot time into my weekly calendar, mostly weekend mornings and one late night, where it's review board games. So I'm either looking at rules, looking at videos, or playing a game and leaving, letting a game breathe and live on, on a table we have in the basement talking about with my kids. And for me, it's I need to be able to stay curious and stay open. And really, it, can I do those two things with the game? Sometimes I can't for various reasons that are unique to me. And so if that's the thing, then I'll know that I need to come back to it or I'll, I'll talk to you about it. I'll talk to somebody else about it. And then when I'm playing that game, regardless of what I've heard about it, and, and this is where you and I have had some heated arguments with certain games, it's can I stay engaged? Can I stay engaged with that game? And if not, what is it about that game that I'm – finding boring or troubling or problematic and it's in those discussions that i have with other people at the table and i think we're very fortunate where we have other developers and game designers that we play games with it, that we can kind of uncover is it something about the game or is it the gamer is it me yeah is it i'm not engaged because there's a football game on in the background i want to watch the bears or is it a, a color issue or is it just, well, that type of game I don't like as much as, oh, I love hidden role games. Maybe somebody else doesn't like hidden role games as much and they're making it less fun for me. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot there, but those are the th three things that I have really um, d 
tried to do is to stay curious and stay open towards the game. And then if I'm not engaged, why, why is that? Yeah, and I or if I am engaged, why is that? I guess. Yeah, and certainly, certainly, we both do all of the things that a, a traditional reviewer would do. And maybe it's part of me where it's like, why would my opinion matter on that? And I think that you know that the idea is in in my mind, it's like I can we can tell you how a game plays. We can tell you what we like about a game. We could theoretically tell you things that we don't like. However, it's almost like to me, every person that plays a game needs to review the game. It's like you have to play it to get the feel to find out whether you like it. I can give you some guideposts and say, this is how it plays. And if those are the type of games that you like, it might be something that interests you. However, there are games that I have played that have gotten terrible reviews that I think are awesome. Yeah. There are games that I think that have gotten amazing reviews that everybody gushes over that I'm like, this just is not for me. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad game, but I'm never going to play this game again. Yeah. And and so I think about there are some things like components, graphic design, artwork. I think those things can all be kind of subjectively reviewed in the way that we review other things. It's like if the components are cheap, the components are cheap and you can kind of point that out, right? But whether a game works or you didn't like an element of the game seems to me so personal. And the amount of people that we've played, you know, the people in our game group and the people I've played games with over the years that you find out that there are so many individual, it's like a fingerprint of what, I have a general idea of what you might like. Yeah. However, there's some things where it's like, oh, Michael's going to love this game. And it's like, I hate it. You yeah. know? And so it's so individualized and goes down to so many variables. It's like, I've had great games that fell flat because the, the group with, you know that I happened to play with or the mood of that evening or yeah. whatever that just fell flat. You yeah. know, and, and some games that I've played and there's like, oh, this is an amazing experience. And I played with a different group and it was like, this is not an amazing experience. You know, so which one is the, tr- is the true one? So I just think it's a very hard concept of, of reviewing games in general based on how many variables go into a gameplay experience, a bad rules teach, a, a grumpy player, yep. an a, a analysis paralysis A, b- a bad player. day at work. Yes. I mean, really, that, that can impact how I interact with the board games or a very troubling day of parenting, Yeah, right? If I'm having a tough day with the kiddos or if my wife and I got, got in a little uh, argument and a disagreement, I bring those feelings to the table. Um, that can really impact how what, what I think uh, of the game. Yeah. Uh, it can. And that's where the trouble for me with reviewing games oftentimes is is me and I have to be conscious of that. And that's one thing where what I really like about what we do here at the game schooler podcast, we always play again, almost always play a game more than once. And if we play a game once and it is phenomenal, like first team, all American hall of famer, then, then we know, but definitely before we write a game off, or have to say anything critical or hypercritical about the game, we've played that thing multiple times. Um, and, and so... Well, and I have a hard time, you know, the amount of, you know, as you said, we know several designers, we know some developers and 
all the stuff that goes into to making a board game from from idea. And that's just because the hobby is small. That's not because yeah. we're special. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, uh, but, um, that goes in from idea to final production. And it's like the amount of time and effort and money and things that go into this to have somebody come out and say, this game is terrible, can just deflate the whole process. And it's like, I think people that are taking those risks should be celebrated and and propped up. Like, if you don't like the game, that's fine. You don't like the game, but... People are going to like it. Well, Some people are going to like it, right? I'm really glad you said that. And there's another part of the trouble with reviewing. And I could be getting too personal here, but it's really through a lens of consumerism of I have to review this game because it's in my workflow and then I'm going to move on, right? And how many games do you and I have in our collection that we have played less than five times, less than a handful of times? Yeah. Uh, a lot of them, right? Well, if if that's the case, so if I have games that are in my personal collection and I know them and love them and want to play them, but then I have a stack of eight games that I have to play in the next two months. So I know, and so it gets into... Um, almost like needing to eat food out of the fridge before it spoils, yeah. right? And I, th- that that's a whole different mentality of approaching food than getting ready for a feast or getting ready to entertain or even from a survival standpoint of I yeah. need this food in order to, to survive. So that 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 is another troubling piece well, with, with reviewing games. And um, go ahead, go well, ahead, when, jump when in. You, when you've got 3,500 new games coming out every year. Annually, every 12 months. The, there is no time to play all of those, I, and <laughs> there is if you had a dedicated team and an awesome spreadsheet no, or database but, but the, okay, and some but smart think rules. Of, think about the procedures. think about the dice tower. I know it with know a it. full crew, and they're not getting through every game that comes out, and so. In you're our, gonna, you're gonna make Tom mad. We're, we're part well, of the dice tower well, network, he, but no, he's I aware know, of that, and I think the the. The thing for me is that knowing that we can't get through 3,500 games and we're talking about 52 a year, theoretically, that's like, why would we waste time talking about a game we didn't like? Like, I want to share the stuff that we really enjoy and have had a good time with and maybe somebody else will too. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure there's going to be people that, you know, buy a game that we recommended or that we, you know, talked about in depth. And it's like, that eh, didn't work for them. And it's like. Well, and, and part of what's triggering this or initiated, you know, this segment, we've had a few of our, our loyal listeners reach out and say, hey, when are you going to talk about such and such game? And so we've had to work on a response of, well, that might not actually come up in a, in a game schooler. Well, and, and uh, what segment? Do, and, because, and my fa- famous thing of saying is, either I have, either we have not played it, or we don't like it. But I'm not going to tell you which one it is, right? <laughs> yeah, but I think that's a little disingenuous. I, well, why? In an email response, in a private conversation, I think we can tell our listeners, "Here's why it didn't work out for us." You know, and I, I've had that. Ri- mm-hmm. I've, I've written those emails back and said, for a variety of reasons, here's yeah. a few of the reasons why it didn't. It hasn't made a recommended list, or here's, you know, this is where it didn't work for one of us, or, yeah. or this is where it doesn't work for me. Yeah, um, or we haven't played it. It, which you is know. usually the case. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. a very good chance that that's happened. So, 
I don't know. I, hopefully, this is helpful. I just one of those things that or a rant and cathartic. It's either <laughs> yeah, helpful yeah. for you or I'm it is s- helpful for us. Yeah, but. I'm, I'm going to sleep like a baby tonight. <laughs> um, I get all that off my chest. I kind of felt halfway through that segment like it was a deep thoughts Jack Candy segment <laughs> from Saturday Night Live, but it was. Deep Game Schooler Thoughts with Doug and Michael. The trouble with the reviewing, trouble with board, reviewing games. board games. There's right. too many of them. <laughs> yes. They take up space. All right. So that is the School of Gaming. Let's move on to the high five. If you're anything like us, you're constantly on the hunt for new games to try out. And this week, we reveal our personal high five hidden role games. Um, terrible notes on me. I've got a lot of leftover... Um, <laughs> Honorable mentions from the previous week. You know, that, nobody could see that, right? When we talk about hidden information and public information, oh, even like I role? couldn't see that. <laughs> That's that. like a hidden role. Um, there is one caveat to this that I, I did, is that there are um, a lot of games that, that crossed my mind as like, this was going to be on the list, but I had to narrow it down to not trader games. Okay. So there's okay. there's different things where it's like, there's one person that maybe is a trader or not part of the group yeah. and they have, and that's not known. Um, I did it where there's multiple people that you're almost trying to suss out who everyone is great, or who the great team is. Way to use that, that big, big word. What, Good. Sus? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I actually went outside the board game geek recognized hidden role. Oh, look at, check look at this guy. So I can't wait to hear the pushback. And He's hear got you some PlayStation games on here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wild <laughs> arms back from the original PlayStation. All right. All right. What do you got? Number five. Number five for me is bang or bang. The dice game. 2002 is the original version. 2013 is the dice game. They have different publishers and designers for reasons that would take a half hour to explain today. They actually the, have the same publisher. Okay. Well, it's D- DVD. Okay. They have different designers for reasons that we're not going to get into today, but the 2002 version is designed by Emiliano uh, Chiara. These are my stats. Four to seven players. More is better. More is longer. Meaning these are my stats, not the Board Game Geek official stats. Uh, This is a simple game to play, a simple game to learn. There's, it's all card-based. There's a sheriff trying to find the outlaws. There's a renegade trying to be the last one standing. And when you get into more players, there are more outlaws, and there's even a deputy. That's goal. The, the goal of the deputy is to help the sheriff. And now you know the whole game. So the sheriff is revealed. The other roles are hidden. You buy some pretty cool guns and get ammo. They have different range, so you can hit people based on how far they're sitting from you. Uh, a game that, uh, folks, this can go long. All right, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. The the because when I saw the stats on Board Game Geek, I just said no. Wrong. This is inaccurate Incorrect. for the original version. The yes. dice game plays fast. My wife actually prefers the dice game. I, I prefer the original, but I think that's just because of sentimentality. Sure. Uh, Great game that I played a lot when it first came out. So that is my number five. Bang or bang, the dice game. (laughs) My number five is Snakes. Three S's on the end of Snakes. Uh, Published in 2021 by Big Potato. I can't believe this made your list. Phil Walker Harding. You hate this game. Sorry. (laughs) It's not my... I just got... Maybe I just got burned. I am bad. I do not normally... I'm not a huge fan of hidden role games in general. Or bluffing, lying. Yes. Which I love. Yes. Keep going. I'm the guy that's like... 
palm sweating every time we're we're playing. I was like, please don't find out I'm lying. And the more that I'm smiling, the more I'm deceiving somebody. Um, so Phil Walker Harding is a designer. Four to eight players, twenty minutes. Uh, 1.2 out of five and 12 plus uh, board game geek users say eight plus probably a little low if they're playing with a 10 and 12 year old next to them um, in snakes it's a trivia game one person knows the is it one person knows the correct yep. answer one person or doesn't know the correct answer they know two people the snakes know it the depends an- on player count yep. soft okay so the snakes know the answer and are trying to get everybody else to guess the wrong answer. There is one person that is the mongoose of truth that the only thing you know about them is that they are not a snake. They're telling the truth. They are telling the truth that, but that does not necessarily mean they know the answer. They're just, you know, they're a good guy. And so the people that are not snakes are trying to figure out what the actual answer is. They score points if they are correct. It's a multiple choice question. And the snakes get points if the other people guess wrong. I um, still can't believe this is on your list. <laughs> so that is my number. It's number five, Michael. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, is snakes. It's still, it's on the shelf Third over S. there. Yeah, it's is in it the on collection. The shelf? I see it. Don't keep um, games I hate. There you go. Number four for me is One Night Werewolf, 2014. Uh, Ted Allspock and Bezier Games. This game is like Mafia. There's a werewolf taking people out in the village, and you got to do something about it. Folks, this game I actually played as like a corporate icebreaker get-to-know-you game, and it was fantastic. But people actually died, right? No, no, not, no, not at work. <laughs> no, there, there are so many different versions of this game, though. Doug, I think, I think that 2014 is the actual one. I think I finally stumbled into the right one on Board Game Geek, but I, I, I didn't want to take down too many sets. You can play with a lot of people. So one um, night or the get or wild. the. So one night is a is a. Different. Drop some knowledge on me here, gamer. One night, Ultimate Werewolf Chief is run, run by an app. Okay, uh, that kind of narrates everything. You're, What's the first one with it's bunch just of people werewolf. and cards? Werewolf, like Ultimate okay. Werewolf or Friends. I'm um, sorry, take away my reviewer card here, but <laughs> Werewolf is the game yes. that I had played. So yep. that's more like a 2007 ish. Would that be right or, or earlier? Four ish. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, there's a lot of versions. Yep. Uh, that one is not on my game because it was replaced not by number list? four. Okay. Um, and that is The Resistance, which is published in 2009 by Indie Boards and Cards. Don Eskridge is a designer. Five to 10 players, 30 minutes, 1.6 out of five, ages 13 and up. Uh, 12 plus for Board Game Geek. And the thing I like about The Resistance is that it doesn't require a moderator. The original werewolf requires yeah. a moderator to kind of run the game and tell everyone when to close their eyes and stuff like that. Resistance is uh, everybody gets a card. They're either with the resistance or, or not. And you are trying to complete missions. There's like a mission leader every time. And they're picking who they want to go on the mission with them. Yeah. And then they submit fail or success cards and if the mission succeeds great then the next person gets to pick people um and so they're and and people are uh the players are discussing amongst each other it was like who who put the failed card in there so can i ask you a question about the resistance because i haven't played that one yet yes werewolf i played a, a new teacher training right Uh, a principal ran us through werewolf and it was awesome it worked it was great got to know people a lot of laughter 
is a resistance a game that could be done at, at like a, a new new teacher new orientation type deal or there's, not? Well, is it probably, that simple? There's probably a little bit more explanation. Okay, it's not going to go as high. You know, it's going to max out at ten players. Okay, where werewolf you can get thirty or yeah, forty, eighteen. Um, yeah. So it's fairly simple. The problem with Werewolf that I've had is that if you do not have a good moderator, that game can break down in a hurry okay. and be a disaster. Okay. Um, so from a, as a gamer, I like the resistance because of that. More it's predictable. Like, take that out and... Um, not rely on the charismatic leader? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So that is my number four, the resistance. Number three for me, folks. Recommended game of the week all the way back in episode 53. Similo, 2019, Martino, Chiara, Halmer Hawk, Pierre Lucazizi, Horrible Guild. 10 minutes, ages 7 plus, 6 plus. The weight is 1.04 out of 5. Use hints to find a secret card in a group of 12. You know, and I've had this note in here before. I'm not sure there's a better $10 uh, game on the market right now. The the hidden role in there is actually knowing which character is the correct character. So this is the one that is not currently in, in Board Game Geek listed <laughs> as a hidden role. One I'm I'm intentionally avoiding Doug's eye contact right now <laughs> because I'm trying to make the case and stand on my own two feet without looking across the table. But uh, I, is, I can I kick the chair out? No, I'm just go go ahead, man. No. Uh, it, it's it's not you know, on a lot of lists under hidden roll, but I needed a fifth game for my list and, and this one made it and, and I'm gonna try to try to make the case. So um Similo I think fits in so many of our high five lists. I'll try to not have that just lump in as my fifth game. <laughs> so now why wasn't it then why wouldn't you put it at number five is my question. Because I like it better right now than Banger Werewolf. <laughs> but you're not sure if it's a hidden roll game. I think I'm sure enough to put it on my list. Okay. It's my list. Okay. Go ahead, poke holes. You got nothing. You got I just nothing. don't agree with it. <laughs> That's there's, all you got? There's no, I don't think it's a hidden roll game. I like pizza. I just don't agree with it. <laughs> the Yeah, I'm trying to get you to think here a little bit. Mm. Build a case. Go ahead. I just don't think that there's any – There's you're not playing against the, the, the hidden role. There's no bluffing. There's nothing. You're working on the same team. So this is hidden information. It's not yeah. a hidden role to me. I guess that's where I would put it is I, I know stuff that you don't know, but that's not me being – Oh, I know a lot that you don't know. <laughs> I yeah. believe it. You're a doctor. <laughs> no, Stop. Um, so that's, I think, where the, the line is for me. It's yeah. not that I'm playing a, a different been, character. It's been three episodes since I talked about Similo. So, so I, yeah, I thought it was a, a, yeah, great, a, a great fit. A great uh, fit. Are, they, are those checks still coming in? And, uh, well, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> Forget checks. Send us review copies of the new ones, Horrible Guild. We love your stuff. All right. My number three is The Grim Masquerade. Oh, why didn't that make my list? Great games. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Could have bumped Similo. Uh, 2019 by Druid City Games. Designer Tim Eisner, Ben Eisner, and James Hudson. Two to four players, 20 to 40 minutes, uh, 1.7. And the ages are at eight plus matching with Board Game Geek. This is one of them that that is... You know, if you go by board game rankings, this is really low. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really cool game. Everybody gets a hidden fairy tale character, and they are they have like a boon card and and a bane, bane card. Yep. And so if you get 
two Bane cards, you are out of the round. If you get three Boon cards of, of for whatever your character wants, you win the game, right? Yep. And so you are trying to, and every turn you're drawing two cards, you're giving one to yourself and one to another player. So you're trying to get other people to bust, but then you're also trying to put stuff down to help you without letting people know who you are, because then yeah. it's possible somebody can guess you and kick you out of the round. Um, so the second that you put down a card that is a, a second Bane card for somebody else, it's like, well, I'm not Cinderella, you know that. We need to play this one again. We need to play this with our families. It's such a fun game. The it's artwork, a, it's a the good, components. Yeah, great Same artwork. design team that did Wonderland's War. Okay. Uh, just a, a really, really good, good game that I want to get back to the table. All right, so that is my number three, The Grim Masquerade. Well done, Douglas. Number two for me is Lords of Waterdeep, 2012, designed by Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson, published by Wizards of the Coast, two to five players, one to two hours, 12 plus, Board Game Geek says 10 plus, I'm going to say 12 to 13 plus, 2.46 out of five. The overall rank on Board Game Geek is 84, and it is 77 in strategy. And for a game that's been out over 10 years, it just lets you know how solid it is. Set in the D&D universe, it's a class or work, classic worker placement with hidden role elements uh, layered into it. Um, I don't have a whole lot more to add other than ju just an awesome game that made my list. All right. Uh, yeah, the hidden role in that, I guess, is that you're collecting certain types of missions that people don't know. They, they, and they don't know, yeah. Yep. So the role is in the mission, not in the person or character trying yep. to figure it out. Uh, my number two is Bang. I usually, um, I prefer Bang the Dice Game, but yeah. I think the original does a better job of the hidden role thing. It, it's a little bit more controlled. Yeah. Um, and the way that that works out is in Bang the Dice, you're rolling dice, kind of Yahtzee style, and everyone can see the dice that you rolled. And so sometimes you just have to shoot people that you don't want to shoot or whatever. In Bang the Card Game, nobody else gets to see what's in your hand. So you can play a card out and say, I don't have anything else. I'm sorry, I have to shoot you. And they don't know that you have cards that could shoot other people right. and things like that. So there is more bluffing. Now, as Michael said, that goes way longer. And <laughs> it can get vicious. But there's you but could they're, be beating up on your friend. Yeah, without even but knowing. I don't it. believe my friend because they always lie to me. Yeah. So there's <laughs> a lot of that going on that's a little bit um that delayed knowledge in the hidden role compared to the dice game where it comes out fairly quickly that's like all right i know that you're the outlaw based on what you're doing um i think bang stretches that out a little bit which is why i have that one on my list even though yep. eight out of ten times i would probably prefer to play the dice game that's interesting that the original made your list over the dice game so cool. that is my number two bang i think michael gave all the stats those are the same ones i had so cool Number one for me, Doug talked about earlier. It's interesting that uh, we, oh. we uh, th this game is really big in my house with two people, and it has been a hit at board game club after school, the after school program, and that is Snakes. I just can't wait to play it with someone else besides you. <laughs> I believe that to be true. <laughs> 2021 Phil Walker Harding, published by Big Potato Games. Uh, and you can find this one for a steal online secondary market i think target in north america has it here, here there's a little bit of information that you must know though it's four is the minimum 
player count. It's four to eight players, 20 minutes, 12 plus eight plus 1.2 out of five. You could teach the game in under two minutes and be playing it. Uh, it is rowdy. It is raucous. People who, I, I, the other thing, it's just a game where you can let your personality air out. So maybe you are cautious and reserved. Maybe you're a little wild and reckless. You could both come together and have an awesome game of snakes. I wonder how many times Phil Walker Harding has been number one on our on one of our lists. This guy, we've got to get an interview. We got to get um, checks for him, him too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reach out this week. Okay. I will. I will reach out this week and see if we can get an interview with him on, on the Game Schooler podcast. But that's my number one for hit and roll is, is snakes and one that has gotten a lot of play in 2022 by me. All right. My number one is Good Cop, Bad Cop, published in 2014 by Overworked Games. The designers are Brian Henk and Clayton Skanky? Skank? I don't know. Sorry. Four to eight players, 10 to 20 minutes, 1.26 out of five. And uh, 12 plus or 10 plus, according to Board Game Geek. And this one is really cool because you are, how is this? This is a 52-card hidden identity deduction game where each player takes on the role of a law enforcement officer in a corrupt district. And so you have three cards in front of you, good cops and bad cop cards. And if you have two bad cop cards and one good cop card, you're corrupt. So that's what team you're on. Okay. Oh, wow. But if you have, you know, three and, or, you know, all three are one, obviously you're either good or bad, but if you have two good cards and one bad cop card, you're a good police officer. The interesting thing is if that last corrupt card is the kingpin card, it negates that and you are the king bad guy. <laughs> How many of those are there in the deck out of 52? A bunch uh, of kingpins? King pin? No, it's yeah. just one. Just one. Okay. There's just one. So it's going to be divided up however the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. thing comes out. And so the goal is to try and, get rid of the other team's leader. Okay. So there's also, I believe there's like the the chief and the kingpin, and those can offset those cards. So if you have two corrupt, but you're the chief, you're going to be a good cop. But the interesting thing is that deduction, where there are actions and stuff that you're playing, where you can flip, you can look at somebody's card. Okay. And it's like, okay, I saw that this card is a corrupt card. So I'm thinking they might be corrupt. But if the other two cards are good cop cards, they might actually be on my team, you know, or somebody's looking at two cards and they see two good cops and it's like, yeah, but he's still the kingpin. Yeah. And I happen to look at the kingpin card. So I know he's the kingpin, you know, and so there's this real weird double bluff that goes on and you're, there's like two guns in the middle of the table that you're trying to eventually somebody needs to grab. So are you playing on teams? Because I just checked yes. it on BGG and that's yes. a four to eight player minimum as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So some people will be good cops. Some people will be bad cops, but how that uh, gets distributed is, is that game available now? I have, sometimes you get me all fired up on yeah. a game and then I go home after we're recording. It's like, gosh, darn it, Doug, this thing's $78. Uh, and I'm not going to see you for a whole week. So do I wait a whole week and try to play your copy or do I go impulsively buy this? It looks like on the secondary market, I think it's, <laughs> it's somewhat available. available. Oh, let me, let me check. You Noble gave all, all the information I needed right there. Douglas Kotecki. No, I mean like it's available at a good, mm-hmm. good, good price. 
Don't don't give me that. I'm, I'm doing a live I'm not, lookup I'm not right now. I'm giving you that. I'm just saying. I'll I'll find it. Is, is near mint eighteen dollars too much for you, Michael? I like it. Okay, I like it. I think I have just about that much in store. Or credit you left can, at Noble Knight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You should be fine. Good, 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 good. <laughs> All right. So those are our high five hidden roll games. Uh, let's see before we check out what do we need to do. Oh yeah. Remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already, which they probably have like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at game schooler you for both of those. And thank you so much for spending the last hour or so with us. We really appreciate it. Now get out there and keep game schooling.